Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Ship show. We close the week with more gains on Wall Street as stock traders continue to ignore all the ominous warning signs that have been flashing. The S&P and the composite, the Nasdaq, both hitting new record highs today. The Dow, not a record high, but positive on the day, closing above 2,600 for the week for the first time ever. But what the market is ignoring, most importantly, is what's happening in the bond market. The bond market fell again. The yield on the 10-year rose. The high yield was 2.46. We closed at 2.639. Now, these are the highest yields that we've had on the 10-year since July of 2014. You know, the stock market's gone up a lot since then. I think about a 45% increase in the S&P 500. Earnings are only up about 6%. So you've had a massive increase in the stock market. And a lot of the justification for that valuation, because obviously valuations have risen sharply, it's been because interest rates were lower. Well, they're not lower anymore. They're back exactly where they were in July of 2014, But what's more ominous is not where they are, but where they're headed. That is the thing. These rates are still very low, 2.639. We're very close to breaking a key number. I think the bond market looks like it's going a lot lower. To me, this looks like it's it. And so I think we're going to break through 3% on the 10-year relatively soon. I mean, maybe maybe by next month. I think it's going to happen relatively soon. And I think if we take out three and a quarter, I think it's a quick move up to 4%. Now, the last time we had a 4% yield on the 10-year was before the 2008 financial crisis. Basically, that was the yield that broke the camel's back. Remember, the financial crisis was triggered by rising interest rates on the debt that had been accumulated in the years prior, 
as a result of Alan Greenspan keeping interest rates at 1% for a year and a half, and then slowly raising them back up over the course of another year and a half. And so as the Fed was moving interest rates up in a measured pace, right, by the time they got to the point where rates had gone back up to about 5%, I guess, the yield on the 10-year was about 4%. That's about as high as it was able to go, and then the market all fell apart. Now, you would have to figure that today, given that we have so much more debt now than we had in 2008, that the breaking point for the markets is actually far below 4%. Because if 4% was enough to prick the bubble in 08, right, we, we don't need a pin that big. A much smaller pin would prick this more enormous bubble if we couldn't withstand a 4% tenure in 2008. Now, what was the high in the stock market in 2008? We were nowhere near where we are right now. I mean, the highest the stock market got back in 2008, the Dow, it was around 12,000. So if interest rates get back to where they were, when the Dow is at 12,000, how do you justify it at 25,000? Yes, I guess earnings are up, but not that much. But of course, what's more important is the bond market and the ability of the economy to handle a 4% treasury, right? Because what does that do to the interest component of the federal government? Because now the national debt is 21 trillion. Back then it was less than 10 trillion. So the debt is much more expensive to service now, 4%. Corporate America has a lot more debt. Individuals have a lot more debt. What happens in the mortgage market? What happens with real estate prices as high as they are? Because they're now higher than they were in 2008. And so if mortgage rates are also higher than they were in 2008, and the last time we had mortgage rates and property prices at levels like this, only lower, it produced a, a real estate crash. So the point is, if the market couldn't withstand a 4% 10-year treasury in 2008, there's no way it could withstand it in 2018. But also, I don't think we're going to stop at 4%. Because if we get above 3 and a quarter, we're breaking even more important uh, resistance. And if we're at 4%, we're off the charts. I think this is the beginning of a major, major bear market, which would take the yields not to 4%, but then 5%, 6%, 7%, 8%. So obviously there's no way that we could possibly withstand that. The Fed can't allow that, which is part of my thesis, that they're not going to. They're going to blink. They are going to move away from this trajectory of raising interest rates and shrinking their balance sheet, whether they just talk about it or do it, they're going to have to cut rates and expand their balance sheet at some point. And that's the point where the dollar falls off the edge of a cliff. But in the meantime, the dollar is going to keep falling. The dollar was down again this week. This is the fifth consecutive week that the dollar has fallen. It managed to eke out a gain. And I'm talking about the dollar index. It eked out a gain today, a tiny gain, but we closed at 90.635. This is the lowest it's closed in, in three over three years. Look at the Chinese yuan. The dollar actually went below 6.4 overnight on the yuan. It closed right about 6.4. This is, you know, the weakest it's been in over two years. But more importantly, I think in the short run, we're going down to 6.2. That's about another 3% down. That's big. And then below that, the next support is the all-time record low for the dollar, a record high for the yuan. We've never been below 6. I think we're going to break through 6. And then I think Katie bar the door. 
I think it's going to be a floodgate of selling. And of course, the dollar going down, that is why the bond market is going down, because bonds are future promises to pay in dollars. And if the dollar is losing value, then you don't want to be paid dollars in the future, not unless you're compensated, not unless the interest rate is high enough to compensate you for that loss. And at 2.7% or 3% or 4%, it's not even 10%. The dollar is falling now at an annualized rate of more than 10%. So how much money would we have to pay creditors, foreign creditors, in order to compensate them for that loss of purchasing power? It's impossible. We can't afford to pay the amount of money that it would take, which is why this crisis is coming. So the dollar is going to keep falling as long as the Fed continues on this slow path of rate hikes. Right, That's the same thing that happened up to 2008. All the, all the time that the Fed was raising rates, a quarter point, the dollar kept going down and gold kept going up and gold's going to go up. Now, gold didn't have much of a move this week. Uh, we, we were up again today. And the price of gold was actually down a little bit on the week. So the weakness in the dollar really not uh, benefiting the price of gold this week. Gold settling just above $1,330 an ounce. Silver right at 17 It was up about $0.06 cents today. But I still think the reason that gold is not breaking out, and it, it's very close. You know, we got to get above that 1250 as I've been saying, is still because uh, people are still reluctant to to buy it because they think everything is so great, right? Hey, why buy gold? I mean, the stock market is going to keep going up forever. There's nothing to worry about. And you have people who think, oh, the Fed's raising rates, so that's bad for gold, even though the rate hikes that we've had thus far didn't stop gold from rising. The rate hikes that we had under Greenspan didn't stop gold from going from 300 to 1,000. The Fed was hiking rates the entire time. And gold made an all-time record high. So the people who think higher rates are bad for gold, they don't have anything actual to substantiate that because history doesn't show that that is in fact the case. The same thing with inflation. Inflation is picking up and you have people actually saying that's bad for gold. That is crazy. Inflation is the best thing for gold. Yet you have people who think, oh, there's more inflation, so that's bad for gold. Why? They think, well, more inflation means higher interest rates, which is bad for gold. But higher interest rates don't hurt gold. They also think higher interest rates help the dollar. And so we can't buy gold when the Fed is hiking because those rates are going to rate hikes are going to help the dollar. And if the dollar goes up, gold's going to go down. But the dollar's not going up. The rate hikes aren't helping. The only kind of rate hikes that might help would be if the Fed gets very aggressive. They have to go Paul Volcker on the bond market. But even then, that might not hurt gold because the economy would collapse so much that people might buy gold anyway, even though the Fed has uh, pushed interest rates to the, you know, to the roof and caused a, a financial crisis worse than we had in 2008. But I don't think that is what we're going to do. I think, if anything, the Fed is going to keep raising rates in small increments. And during that entire time, the price of gold is going to climb a wall of worry and eventually you know, break out. The dollar is going to keep falling until the Fed finally gives in and stops the hikes. And that's when the, the dollar collapses. That's when gold goes to the moon. But you better own it before that happens. Because the day the Fed has to admit that, the day that they have to give up the pretense that they're going to keep on hiking, the day they have to concede right and show their cards, it's it. It's too late. You better already have all of your investment positions right. 
because you're not going to scramble because then all of a sudden the cat's out of the bag. Everybody is trying to reposition and now it's too late. Everybody can't get out the door at the same time. It's like if you're in a movie theater, you know, and you, you see a fire. I mean, if you just get out and then yell fire, you, you know, you can get out first and then warn everybody else. But if you wait until somebody else says fire and everybody tries to get out at once, you may not get out. You may get trampled. That is what's going to happen in the markets. But you have another week with the bond market going down, another week with the dollar going down, and stock market investors just, you know, just keep on buying. They don't care. They don't care. Now, oil didn't go up this week. It was down slightly, you know, close 63.47. Last week it closed 64, I think 23. So a slight move down, but oil is holding its gains. This trend is coming up, and this is also... Bad news for the economy because, you know, again, it's been cheap money and cheap gas. Those are the linchpins holding up the market, holding up the economy. They're all going away. But no one cares. You know, I did the Alex Jones show today, and I haven't done Alex's show in a long time. And even Alex is completely convinced. He's bought into this myth of Donald Trump, and he's out there telling me how great everything is, how Trump has changed everything, how he's unleashed the economy, how we've got rid of all the regulations that were holding us back and cut the taxes, and we're going to have all this economic growth, and the stock market's going to go up. Even Alex Jones is a bull, right? I mean, what, what more do you have to say, right? He's capitulated. He's excited about nothing just because of the Trump. So if you've got Alex Jones on board now, thinking the economy is great and the market is great, right? I mean, that's a great contrarian indicator. Everybody is in. Nobody thinks anything could go wrong. I had a, an account that, that uh, was lost. This lady transferred her account out, and she's working with a you know a mainstream uh, asset manager. So another guy is going to charge her a fee to manage her portfolio. And she's transferring out, and she already transferred out a couple of accounts. And there was one more, I guess, had my mutual funds, but... She called in with her other representative, but she doesn't want to talk to me. She refuses to talk to me. Um, she just wants to make sure that the stuff gets sold. And the reason she doesn't want me to talk to her is because over the last couple of years, she's tried to close her account a couple of times. She's, you know, oh, I want to get out. I, you know, I, you know. And every time she's wanted to get out, I was able to convince her to stay. And of course, her account's done nothing but go up during that time period, right? Over the last two years, a lot of our accounts have beaten the S&P. And I had a guy that closed, uh, was closing his account the other day. Guy was up 52% in his managed account in the last two years, right? And he's, you know, in a value strategy. And, you know, that beats the S&P over the last two years, right? So, you know, and now this woman, right, is closing her account. And she's afraid that if she gets on the phone with me, I might convince her to stay, which I did in the past. And it was a good thing. Because her account's gone up a lot. But I think what happens, and this is what's been going on with a lot of people, she's working with another advisor, and this is a cookie cutter. I know the firm. There's no point in mentioning it, but I know the firm she's going to. And very mainstream. So they're going to give her a portfolio of blue chip U.S. stocks and bonds. Maybe they'll sprinkle in a little bit of the multinationals, probably some foreign banks, but mostly U.S., S&P, big cap stuff, and some U.S. bonds. She's going to get killed, absolutely killed. But more importantly, she's going to miss out on all the profits, all the profits that she wanted, right, that she thought she was going to get. She would have got them if she stayed, but she's going to miss out. Also, she's no longer going to be protected from the dollar crisis that she was worried about years ago, which is why she set up her account. But here's how these uh, brokers 
are able to uh, convince people. So obviously, this guy gets in a room with my client and says, let me see your Euro-Pacific account and pulls it up. And let's say, oh, here, over the last five years, you haven't made any money or, you know, you made 10 percent over five years. That stinks. Look at how much money you would have made if you were in the U.S. stock market during those same five years. See, let's say I'm going to make some numbers up. See, these are not real numbers because I don't want to get into, you know, real numbers or, you know, SEC performance. But let me just make up some numbers. Right. So let's say a client sent me one hundred thousand dollars. Um, five years ago. And let's say today the client still has exactly 100000 They didn't make anything, right? And let's say if they had put that 100000 with this other firm, it would have doubled over those five years to 200000 right? So the advisor is going to say, look, if you would have had your money with us, you'd have $200,000 right now. Instead, you gave it to Schiff and you've only got 100000 So transfer your account over here because we're doing so much better, Right? As if the next five years are going to look exactly like the last five years. They could be the mirror image of the last five years. And of course, what that advisor will overlook is that even though his strategy has beat my strategy for the last five years, my strategy has beat his for the last two. So the question is, what is going to continue? The last two years or the last five? How does he know? See, I think... The last two years are much likely to be more indicative of what happens over the next five. In fact, I think it's going to be much bigger. So let's just say that this client now puts their money into the U.S. stock market at an extreme valuation. Yes, the U.S. market did great over the last five years. The U.S. bond market did great over the last five years. And now she comes in at the top. Let's say five years later, her $100,000 is worth 50000 Right. So so she's now got half of what she started with over 10 years. Instead of being even over five, she's now lost half her money over 10 years. But let's say had she left her 100,000 here and the dollar tanks the way I think it is, commodities, gold, emerging markets all go up. And let's say her $100,000 account would have become a $500,000 account. So now she would have had 500,000 if she stayed the course. Instead, she's got 50,000. That's a much bigger disaster. See, right now. She's only out a hundred grand, right? She's got a hundred with me, and she would have had two hundred if she went with if she had been with the other guy. But now she's going to switch, and now she's going to end up with fifty instead of five hundred. Now it's a tenfold. Now it's now she just lost four hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Now let's look at the whole ten years. Let's say she started with the other guy, put in a hundred thousand dollars. It went up to two hundred thousand, and then five years later, it's back where she started. She's at a hundred thousand. She's made nothing. With me, she starts with 100000 It initially goes down, but it gets back to 100000 after five years. But then after the next few years, it's at 500000 So over the entire 10-year period, with my strategy, she's made five times her money, whereas with the other guy, she made nothing. Now, I don't know these exact numbers. Again, I'm just making this up. I'm not saying, hey, anybody that has an account with me is guaranteed to make five times their money. I'm just illustrating a point. Because if that happens, if that ends up being the case, did it matter that after the first five years, she was behind with me where she would have been better off. You know, it's like last year's Super Bowl. Did it matter that the Patriots lost the first half? Of course not, because they won the game. I don't care. Yeah, I lost the first half. If you're going to take a 10-year time horizon, yes, a lot of advisors beat me over the last five years. They did. They're not going to beat me over the next five, and they're not going to beat me over the entire 10. And I don't care about what happens in the first half. That's meaningless if you lose the game. 
And you know, that's what this client doesn't understand. Unfortunately, a lot of other clients don't understand that, but it is very easy for a salesman, for some of these firms to just critique uh, my strategy because they have no idea what's about to happen. They don't know what I've been preparing for and they don't recognize the warning signs that all the things that I've been preparing for are about to take place. So, you know, people have to resist this temptation. It's the easiest mistake to make. And again, I am very frustrated that, you know, I spent so much of my time over the last couple of years keeping this woman on board. And, you know, now, you know, now she takes herself out of the game and she's going to she's going to get wiped out like everybody else. She's going to take a huge loss of purchasing power and she's probably even going to lose dollars. But the, the real loss is not how many dollars she loses, but what the dollars she have left will actually buy. But the other thing about this is that it simply reinforces my own belief in how right I am. I mean, what are the odds that what this woman is doing is the right thing? I would put peg it at zero. I think there's absolutely no chance that she has made the right call in market timing. And in fact, when I convinced her not to close her account two years ago, a year ago, she wasn't going to go into the U.S. market. She didn't have another advisor that she was working with. She was just going to go to cash, right? She just wanted out. Now she wants in on the U.S. stock market. It's so it's the greed, it's the, it's the bubble in the U.S. stock market that I can't overcome. I was able to overcome her fear because, oh, I was down, right? And so I was able to keep her in and she got this big gain over the last couple of years. But what I couldn't overcome was the greed that she's going to make a killing in the U.S. stock market. Simply because the U.S. stock market had already gone up, it's going to keep going up. And again, if Alex Jones is convinced everything is great, then, you know, how hard is it to convince her? You know, and so that's where she's at. And this is symbolic. Other clients have done this. Now, not the vast majority, but a lot. You know, and I feel badly that it's happening. But again, it simply reinforces to me how much money the rest of my clients are going to make and how much money I'm going to make personally. I'm doing the same thing. I eat more of my own cooking than any other advisor out there. You know, I read an article on Zero Hedge. They called them the most bearish hedge fund manager in, in the world. Now, I don't manage a hedge fund. But, I mean, I manage money. I doubt this guy is more bearish than me. But anyway, over the last couple of years, he's lost money. He actually lost about 20% for his clients in 2016. We had a good year in 2016. He made a little bit of money in 2017. We made a lot of money. So whereas, you know, his last two years, he did very poorly. Uh, and he lost a lot more clients than I did. I look at his assets under management. It, it collapsed significantly. I mean, my assets under management still went up. You know, even though I lost money, I still managed more because the accounts that didn't close went up in value by more than enough to offset uh, the ones that went down. Plus, we did have clients add. It's not like nobody opened up accounts with me last year and sent me money. It's just that more me people pulled money out than put money in. But my assets under management went up. This guy's assets under management collapsed. But I think that he's still going to make a bunch of money for his clients. I mean, I think all of the advisors that understand the problem are going to end up making money for their clients, those that stick with them, right? And I think all of the profits over the next five years are going to be earned by clients who are with money managers now who have underperformed the market over the past several years, the U.S. market. Because the only way you could beat the market or be as good as the market is to be in it. And I doubt the people who are in it realize that they're in a bubble 
and they're actually going to get out before it pops. I think they've, they've swallowed the Kool-Aid and they have no idea. And they're going to be in this thing till the collapse, just like they were in 2000 or 2008. So the, the, the uh, managers who are smart and who are doing the right thing are being punished. They're losing clients, right? But in the end, they're going to be rewarded because they're going to have the long-term track record and then they're going to get a lot of clients. Like I think about this woman, let's say I'm right on these numbers. And so, you know, she takes her hundred grand. I mean, she had a lot more than that. I'm just making up a number, a hundred grand to keep it easy. But so let's say she takes out the hundred grand and five years later, it's only worth 50. And she sees that had she left her money with me, it'd be worth half a million. Maybe then she decides, oh, let me send you the 50,000 back. I guess you've done, you've done really well. I'm going to send you the 50 grand. But I mean, she's missed out on such a huge move. And of course, if I'm right, she probably won't be able to send me that 50 grand because she's going to need it to pay her bills. She's going to need it for food, right? She's going to need it for energy. She's not going to have money to invest. She's going to need money to survive. You know, and I get this too when I talk to my clients. They say, you know, I need to retire. Yes, that's exactly why you need this strategy because if you put your money in the U.S. dollar, it's your, it's your money that's going to retire. If you want to retire, you need to get away from the dollar. You need to get away from the U.S. stock market. You have to get away from the U.S. bond market. You have to understand the stakes. But a lot of people just don't do it, or they did at one time. But since it's taken so long and nothing bad supposedly has happened because the market keeps going up, they're getting suckered into this. And this is the mother of all sucker rallies. And that's what markets do. Markets want to make sure that the smallest number of people actually profit from a big move. So they always want to shake out the weak players. And so I think the clients that I've lost, these are the weaker hands that are folding. Maybe they didn't totally believe, they didn't have the confidence of it, and the market is making sure that they're not going to get the payoff. And the bad thing about it is, you know, they miss out on the gains of the U.S. market, but then get the losses, you know. And they get the losses in the overseas markets, or, you know, maybe they make small gains, but they miss out on the huge payday. But again, this is how it works. People are their own worst enemy, and even not my clients. I mean, you take the typical client. You know, you look at the U.S. stock market, and it goes up over time. It has gone up. But a lot of investors lose money. You look at a lot of these mutual funds, and you can see what their performance is. But that doesn't mean that in people who invested in these funds actually got that performance. Because what happens is they, you know, they, they sell and they buy and they sell and they buy. And so they're not in the fund for the entire time. And they actually end up losing money because they, they buy and sell at the wrong time. They, you know, things go up and they get excited and they buy. Things collapse. They get, they get scared and they sell. They should do the opposite. Things go down. They should get excited and buy if, if what's going down is real valuable. And if things are going up and they're expensive, you, you walk away. You sell. But nobody wants to leave the party early because they think it's going to continue. You know, the same thing is going on a bigger scale in the, uh, in the cryptocurrencies. Right? Look at what happened to Bitcoin. Right. Bitcoin. Oh, oh, before I get to that, I did want to address. So, you know, when I did my last podcast, the Dow had just had that big reversal. Right. We had we were at 20, above twenty six thousand. We sold off over three hundred. We closed a little negative. And I said, hey, maybe there's a top. We'll see. But I also said that it wasn't a reliable reversal because a, it happened on a Tuesday, which are notorious. Just, you know, turnaround Tuesday, reversal Tuesday, just trading noise. And. We didn't close below the previous day's low. We didn't even take out the previous day's low. So it wasn't a key reversal. It wasn't an outside day. So I wanted to see what happened. And of course, the next day, we took out the previous day's high and actually closed above it. So, you know, there's less evidence that we've topped. But, you know, the, the Dow is having a little bit of trouble around 26,000. So we'll see. 
But, you know, but meanwhile, the rest of the story, bonds keep falling, dollar keeps falling. So the warning signs are there, whether the stock investors notice them yet or not. But eventually they will, because the higher rates rise and the lower the dollar falls, the brighter those warning signs are. And they start to be flashing and they're in neon. And eventually you can't ignore them anymore and the market's going to go down. But again, getting back to these cryptocurrencies. So Bitcoin, and I did my last uh, podcast, it was a day that Bitcoin was approaching 10,000. I think it was around 10,200 when I recorded the podcast uh, on on Tuesday. And I thought there might be some support around 10,000 or just under because I thought that some of the whales who typically sell a little bit into the rally have all that dry powder to go buy back in in the dips because they want to prop the market up in a way they're kind of manipulating it, but they don't want it to collapse because they want it to go higher so, so that they can sell more. And I also have a feeling, although I can't prove this, I haven't researched it, but when you see these sharp sell-offs, I believe the volume on the declines is much bigger than the volume on the rallies. That Somebody comes in and dumps a bunch of Bitcoin, the price gets killed, and when the sellers go away, these whales come in, they buy just enough to get the price to go back up. So the down volume is bigger than the up volume. But So I was uh, recording my podcast, and Bitcoin was around 10,200. And I didn't know, look, it'll go below 10,000, it might bounce. Well, that was a low. It got to like 10,100, didn't go below it. And then it rallied all the way back down up to like 12,000. And then it collapsed the next day, or it went down to almost 9,000, about 9,200. Huge drop. Then it rallied. It got back up, you know, into the 13s. I mean, the volatility is incredible. As I'm recording it now, it's about 11,300, right? So Bitcoin, again, is getting more volatile, not less volatile. Everybody was saying, oh, don't worry, it's going to get less volatile over time. It's the opposite, right? It's gotten more volatile over time. But now we're down well over a 50% decline, right? From about 20,000 to now close to 9,000. That's over a 50% drop. The trend is down. I mean, how is it possible even that we're still in a bull market, right, if something just lost half its value? I mean, generally, if something's lost half its value from its peak, it's okay, it's in a bear market now. So I think that the the weight of the evidence now would suggest that we're in a a bear. Now, the question is, how long is this bear going to go? But to me, it looks like the path of least resistance is down. We're making lower lows and lower highs, and every once in a while, we get big breaks so this time we stopped at 9,000. Maybe next time we go to 8,000 or 7,000. Then it bounces back two or 3,000. But maybe the bounce back only goes to 10,000 the next time, right? The market is going down. Now, at some point, it's going to completely collapse. You know, there was this one coin, right? Was it um, BitConnect? You know, its three-letter symbol was BCC. And that coin, BitConnect, and I, I guess I didn't even follow this, but the, 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 the cryptocurrency lost 98% of its value in one day. One day, this at one point was one of the top, you know, 20 market cap coins. I can't forget how much, but, you know, the market cap was over a billion dollars and it's all wiped out. Now, apparently these guys were actually running a legitimate Ponzi scheme where, you know, they were actually supposedly paying you interest in BitConnect tokens, you know, a high rate of interest that they were supposedly generating, uh, doing some kind of trading activity. So it was a classic Ponzi scheme. And, you know, I see a lot of the people who are pointing out, you know, in, that are buying Bitcoin. Well, you know, that was a Ponzi scheme. What they don't understand is, you know, you can't throw stones in a glass house that all of these tokens have Ponzi-esque qualities, right? It's, it, even though it's not an outright Ponzi scheme like BitConnect was, right? 
It's a Ponzi dynamic in that the way you make money is by selling out at a higher price to somebody else who buys in. And the way he makes money is by selling out to somebody else who buys in at a higher price. That's how Ponzi schemes work. The money, the money that you make is dependent on new money coming in to take you out. And then eventually somebody comes in and they're the last buyer. They're the last fool. There's nobody else willing to pay a higher price. You run out of greater fools and then everything collapses and then everybody loses who got in late. The winners in any kind of Ponzi are the people who get in early and then bail out. And that's, that's why they're illegal. They're illegal because they're guaranteed to blow up. That's why what Bernie Madoff did was illegal. Right? You can't run a Ponzi scheme because it doesn't work. The only one who's allowed to run a Ponzi scheme is the government because they run Social Security, which is a Ponzi scheme. Why is Social Security a Ponzi scheme? Because the people who collect benefits collect benefits from the people who are currently paying taxes. And the people who are currently paying taxes believe they'll collect benefits from future people who also pay taxes, who will be believing that they'll be paid by the next generation. But the, how that's different from a legitimate retirement plan would be people pay taxes into a trust fund. The fund invests the money. And then when you retire, the fund pays out the, the, the money you put in plus your investment profits. That's called a funded retirement program. But that's not what the government runs. The government runs a Ponzi scheme. Right. And just because the government is running a Ponzi scheme doesn't mean it's going to work. Ponzi schemes are illegal because they don't work. They always collapse. And Social Security is going to collapse, too. The only difference is the government can keep it going with a printing press. But that just means the dollar collapses. So it's the same difference. But for anybody who is like laughing at BitConnect, oh, that was just a Ponzi scheme. You better really take a closer look at what you're doing with your coin, because even though BitConnect may be the most extreme example of an actual Ponzi scheme going on within the crypto space, that dynamic is what's there. And the important thing is you can have a currency that loses 98% of its value in one day, a, a digital currency that people believed in, people were buying, and then it evaporated. So if it can happen to BitConnect, it can happen to anything. And eventually it will. There will be a day where you'll see this, this collapse. But I don't know where it's going to be. I mean, it might happen when one day where Bitcoin goes from 500 uh, to, to 10. You know, I don't know where the implosion is going to come from. I have a feeling it's going to be from a much lower level than we are now. I think the market's going to be a lot lower before you get a complete collapse. But I'm convinced that that complete collapse is in fact coming. Also, you know, I wanted to mention a little economic data that came out later in the week that was worse than expected. And again, the market didn't seem uh, to, uh, to pay much attention to it. The Philly Fed came out on Thursday and it basically dropped, was supposed to go up. It dropped to about the weakest it's been since December of 2016. And if you look at where it is on a chart, it's very close to potentially breaking down. So that should be a worry. Housing starts, single family starts down sharply in December. Big drop. Nobody was expecting that. And of course, this is going to get even worse. Mortgage rates are going up. Construction costs are going up. And the tax deductions have gone away for a lot of people. So it's going to be more expensive to build a home and it's going to be more expensive to buy one and you're not going to get a tax cut. So, you know, if the housing starts are already dropping sharply, they could drop a lot more sharply going forward. Then today we got these consumer sentiment numbers unexpectedly fall uh, in, uh, in January. You know, we're now at a six month low in consumer sentiment. So they were off the charts. It was red hot. And now we're cooling off 
to a six-month low. Well, by election, right, the election uh, in November of this year, I think it's going to be a deep freeze when it comes to consumer sentiment. Because by then, right, a lot of people are going to be disappointed because the big recovery that Alex Jones thinks is around the corner may not materialize, right? We're not going to get the 3 or 4% GDP growth. What we're going to get is inflation. What we're going to get is higher interest rates, higher food prices, higher gas prices. People are going to be very disappointed. They're not going to be confident. And when they go to the polls, who are they going to vote against? Because that's really what people do in America. You vote the lesser of two evils. You vote the bums out, right? You vote for the party that's not in power when things get worse. And so who's not in power? The Democrats. So who are they going to vote for? The Democrats. And this is going to be bad news uh, for the economy, too, because it puts us one step closer to the Democrats having all three chambers. And look at what the Republicans are doing. The Republicans have the White House and both houses of Congress and government spending is going up and deficits are going up. Imagine how much worse it'll be when the Democrats take over. Right. Because they love government even more than Republicans. They love deficits even more than Republicans. So when they have control, it's going through the roof. So, I mean, and forget about it. As I said, these tax cuts, they're all temporary because they're all going to end in 2021 uh, when a Democratic uh, president signs a major tax increase passed by a Democratic Congress. (laughs) 